Welcome to Providence Road. We are really, really glad that you're here today worshiping with us on this cold and kind of snowy, I guess, Sunday. Um, when we were uh, noticing that it was snowing last night, it, it made me think of two years ago when similar, similar Sunday, or actually same Sunday, it was the Sunday between Christmas and New Year's Day. I think it was, yeah, two, two years ago. And same type of deal, kind of got a late, unexpected, I think it was more <coughs> ice than snow. And we were trying to decide whether we were going to um, have the service or not two years ago. And it was one of those deals where we just felt like it was too late to try to call it off. So we said, we're just going to do it. And ended up having, I think, 18 people here um, two years ago to do that. But uh, so it was, it was, we were kind of gearing up for that maybe this morning with the, the late weather coming in, unexpected, it being frigid outside. But I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised how many, how many of you guys are here. And hopefully everybody got here safe. And um, yeah, we're honored that you would choose to spend... Um, the last Sunday of 2017 with this. So if you want to follow along with me in your Bibles, go to Matthew 6, verse 1. The scriptures will be on the screens to my right and to my left. <clears throat> we read Matthew 6, 1 through 15. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you once again for your word. <clears throat> I thank you um, uh, for this time where we can come together and set our eyes upon you to recalibrate our, our hearts and our minds and, and focus on you, especially in, in the month of December that can be um, abnormal and busy and crazy and uh, sickness going around. So I thank you that uh, we're able to come here and gather, and we thank you for your word. And as we look at this passage this morning, I pray that you would change our minds, that you would change your hearts, you would change the way we live as a result of spending time in your word. And I pray that um, above all, you receive honor and glory for this time that we spend together. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
If I didn't say it before, I'm Jeremy. I don't know if I said that. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Again, welcome to Providence Road. We're really, really glad that you're here. Um, uh, to me, the Sunday between <coughs> Christmas and New Year's is always a, um, just a strange Sunday. As Christmas has passed, you kind of have that lull that comes after Christmas, and you're kind of looking ahead towards 2018, but it's not here yet. So you're in this in-between stage with this Sunday that happens every year. And so when we were thinking about this series coming out of Advent, thinking of what, what do we want to do, what do we want to preach on coming out of 2017 and into 2018, we thought, well, let's, let's do a little three-week series on prayer. Like what better time to, to really refocus back on God, refocus back on something as important as prayer at the end of the year and um, the two Sundays beginning of 2018. So that's what we're going to do. Prayer, okay? So when, when prayer is one of those things, it doesn't matter like who you are or what your background is in the room probably, that prayer is probably a good thing. It's a good thing. It's something that we should do. And especially as Christians, we know that prayer is one of those things that uh, we, 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 we ought to do and we want to do. Um, but it's one of the things, and this is, I think, coming from my experience and thinking of myself as well, that prayer is one of those things that many of us really struggle with. And when prayer comes up in teaching or in preaching or whatever it is, um, maybe that and evangelism, I think, are the two things that in our Christian world, that it's when it's brought up, I think we tend to maybe feel feelings of, of guilt because I think they're the two areas that... Uh, many of us would say, yeah, I could, I could probably be a little better at that. Or, my, yeah, my prayer life could probably be more healthy. I could talk to God more um, when I have the time. And so I, I hope one of the things that God accomplishes today as we're looking at this text is that we wouldn't see prayer as something that we must do or even something that we should do. I pray that prayer would become something that we get to do that we look forward to, that we realize it's not something that is out there, that it's like something we need to kind of check off this list and make sure we're doing it. And, that, but, and that's not our posture as it relates to prayer. So I don't think that's what this text is going to tell us this morning, that our posture should be. It's one of the primary ways we communicate with God. It's one of the primary ways that we get to experience a relationship with God at that experiential level. Prayer is something that we are invited into by a perfect Father who loves us unconditionally if we are in Christ. We are a follower of Jesus. So why do many of us not pray consistently? Or why do we struggle to pray? Why is that so difficult for us? And I think this is a big deal, because I think if, if you were to look at Nicole and I's marriage, you know, I, I, I love her, I love so much about her, we live together, and if you were observing our marriage from afar, from the outside, and you observed that we don't ever talk, say so we never communicated, you would, step, you would say that, well, you say you love her and she loves you and you love all these things about each other and these qualities, you're missing out on so many of these qualities and benefits of being married if you don't talk, if you don't communicate. No one would say that if Nicole and I don't talk to each other that we have a healthy relationship. No one would, no one would say that. 
we're not experiencing all the benefits that marriage has to offer if we don't ever communicate. We miss those chances to experience joy and, and, uh, and, and just experience um, peace and, and all those things that relate to um, having, being married to someone that you love so much. So the way we're going to look at prayer, we're going to look at a text, I think, as we look at prayer these next three weeks. We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer the next three weeks. We're going to walk through this because we're thinking if, if there's any passage to go to in the scriptures to talk about prayer, it's when Jesus says, here's how to pray. We think that's a pretty good place to start when you start talking about well, what is prayer and why should we do it. So we're going to start in Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 1, just to set some context. And we're going to spend this week on the first part of the prayer, the first kind of two or th- two verses, and then we'll finish out the prayer over the next two weeks. So the Lord's Prayer is found, for context, right in the middle of something that is called the Sermon on the Mount. It's right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And there are two things that we really need to, to know before we jump into the prayer. I think it's important to know why, why does Jesus jump in and decide here in this moment to teach on prayer? First off, we need to consider who Jesus is addressing. The beginning of this chapter, it says Jesus goes up to, up, up to a mountain. Okay, so he walks up this mountain to kind of get, get uh, at least on, away from the crowds to some degree and at a higher elevation, probably so that people can hear him. He knows he's about to, to, to preach a sermon here, the Sermon on the Mount. So he's trying to get at a better place where everybody can hear him. Okay, that's pretty um, reasonable. But it also says he sat down. So he goes up on this mountain and then he sits down. If I'm trying to project as far as I can, I'm probably going to remain standing. But it says he sits down. And then it says his disciples came to him. So to some degree, I think people could probably still maybe hear bits and pieces with him sitting down wherever they were at. But it's important to notice the disciples actually came to him and sat closer to him so they could hear what he was saying. So I think Jesus is addressing primarily those who considered themselves disciples, followers of Jesus, okay? And it says disciples came near him. I don't think this is necessarily limited to the 12 disciples. I think this is probably anyone who considered themselves a disciple, anyone who was following Jesus and following him around at this time in, his, in, in the early days of his ministry. So that's the first important thing to notice before we jump in. This the second thing is to notice why he jumps in and starts teaching on prayer. And we get the first clue in verse 1. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So right there he's saying, he starts this off with beware. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. So he starts this, the, the, the chapter off that he's going to get into prayer by warning them um, not, to, not to do this, not to, not, to, not to live a righteous life so that others may see you. And then he continues in verse 2. <clears throat> Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by... Can we get the verses on there? Sorry. Make sure everybody can follow along. And in the streets, and they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
And he continues, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. So he's giving us an example here of what he's saying not to do. Truly I say to you, they will, they will have received their reward. But when you, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So he tells them, do not pray like the hypocrites and the Gentiles. Okay, so the first thing he's addressing here is why we pray. I think it's something important for us to think about. Why do we pray? And so the first thing he says, don't be motivated by what, other th what others think of you to pray. So the hypocrites, this, this word there means like a performer, like someone that wears a mask to be someone different than they who, who they truly are. This is what that word in the original language means and kind of gets at. So he's saying, don't be like the people who kind of put on this mask while they pray so that others may see them and see them as, oh, they're so righteous or they're so great because they're praying. It's like, don't do that. So what prayer should be about you and God, not about what others are thinking about you. And I think this could be said with, with a lot of things about um, the life of a Christian, but we're talking about prayer. And secondly, he says, do not use empty words like the Gentiles do, which I think what this means is simply like just this, this babbling words with no intentionality, no purpose. Maybe, uh, maybe it's ritualistic, just saying words because that's what you're supposed to do. Saying be intentional. Know why you're praying. This is a relationship. When you're in a relationship with someone, uh, you're fairly intentional when it comes to your communication with that something. And then as we work through this prayer, we need to see this as a template. Because there's, there's, there's logic to this. There's order to this. Um, kind of like building a house. When you build a house, every house should have a foundation. Every house or structure should have walls. And then there should be a roof. That's kind of the order that you do those things in as well. So all structures or buildings are have that, those things and have that order. Now, how you do the foundation, how you do the walls, how you do the roof, all different. All can be tweaked. What you do inside of the house can be your preference. But there are some common things that go into building a house. So it's the same thing with prayer. He's giving us a template. Say, here's some things that should be a part of your prayer life. And I think the order is important here. As well. Now, if you're just starting to pray and you're, you really want something just to pray so you can get started, I think this is a great place to start. If you have to pray this word for word to, to learn how to pray and to have some confidence in prayer, then by all means, pray the Lord's Prayer. But it's not so locked in that every time we pray, we have to stick really close to the Lord's Prayer. So that's the context. Let's get into the actual text now. Verse 9 says, Pray then like this Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. So the, these, these verses here, they set the stage for the rest of the prayer. They provide the basis. They provide the foundation. Everything that comes after this, the petitions that we're going to get into, follow this verse. Our Lord who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So Jesus starts the prayer like this because he wants the disciples to know that this is a relationship. And why else would he start this? These aren't petitions. These are basically reminders and, 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 and telling God who he is, reminding ourselves, this is, this is who you are, God. Our Father art in heaven. In John 1, 12 and 13, um, in another gospel, Jesus says this about God being a father. What kind of father? 
says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is why we can call God Father. It's because we've been born again. And think about it. Jesus could have used many other roles for God than he uses here. God, plenty of names he could be used for God. He's creator, powerful, um, um, sovereign. All those things he could have put here, but he chooses to use father. A very, the, probably the most relational term that can be used of God. And I think this is the most important thing to think about when we pray, that God is our father. He's a perfect, loving father who loves to be near his children and who loves his children to be near to him. So prayer is relational. We have, we have to get that. This passage also teaches that God is not the father of every human being. John 1 teaches that. Those who are children of God are those who have received him, who've believed in him, and were born again through God's power. That's who are included in the family of God. That's who can call God father. Not everyone can lay claim to God being their father. Okay? So whenever we think of prayer, we need to view God through the lens of a father. In Matthew 7, in the next chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us what kind of father he is. He says here, which, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask them? It's like if, if, if you're sinners, if you mess up all the time, and yet you love your children so much that you desire to give them good gifts, if that's, if that's an earthly father, then how much more does our perfect heavenly father who loves us unconditionally, how much more does he desire to give his children good gifts? If you're in here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I would um, just ask the question, does, does having this kind of father intrigue you? Thinking of, wanting to have a father figure in your life, or maybe thinking back to your experience of your father. Does having this loving father intrigue you? If there was a father out there like this, would it interest you at any level? Do you desire this deep down? Maybe you don't care about Christianity, but if I said there was a father who loved you unconditionally, would that interest you at all? And my guess is if we dug deep enough, the answer to that would be yes. I think we all desire and want a father like the scripture describes God to be. Notice here also about this passage when Jesus is talking, Jesus is talking here, he says, pray like this, our father. He includes Christians, he includes those of us who have professed faith, he includes us in the family there. He puts us on the same plane with himself. Notice that. I didn't, don't notice that every time because it's, you kind of have to look deeper into there. But he says, our father, brothers, sisters, me, our father in heaven. Through our union with him, we're united to him. He's our father. 
just like Jesus can say as well. And we know from passages in Galatians and Romans that we pray through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians, it says, we, the Spirit testifies to our spirit, Abba, Father, gives us the words to say when we need the words to say. So you see the whole Trinity at work in here. See, God the Father, who Jesus is talking about, he says our Father, bringing us into relationship with Jesus there. And then we know we pray through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see all members of the Trinity working here in this prayer. And I think as we grow in our understanding of prayer and begin to pray, we need to be mindful of that this is a Trinitarian prayer. See, God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So we should think about that when we pray. Here's why I think this is such an important part of this prayer before we get into any other parts of prayer and why we're spending so much time on it. I don't think most of us understand what it looks like to have a healthy relationship with a father. I, I don't think we do. Just from doing ministry and, and reading books and, and those kinds of things, like we, a lot of us have some, some big father wounds. And even if we don't have father wounds, we didn't quite have a, a holistic, healthy, flourishing relationship with our fathers. Say so many of us were raised, even in best case scenarios, we were raised in, in good homes where we, were, we, were, we had everything we were needed. We, there was no abuse, maybe. And, and if we did the things that our parents told us to do, things would go well. And we would try to not do the things they didn't want us to do. To do. But when we failed them, when we didn't do what they expected us to do, we didn't go to them in this this uh, transparent relationship and, and talk about how we messed up or, or dad, I, I'm scared about this or dad, I have anxiety about this or dad, I, I just need, I need a hug. I need to talk. I need to process some deep, deep things that I'm feeling and experience. I need to process this with you. And I think a lot of us didn't grow up with a father where we had this freedom to go and actually talk to him about these things. So we bring that over into our relationship with God and we, when we mess up or we're scared or we have anxiety or we have doubts, what do we do? We, we move away from God. We run from God. We hide from God because that's all we've ever known because this world is broken and messed up and not, there's no family that is perfect. So I think all of us have a bit of a skewed view of what it means to have a father. So when we, when we fail and we come to God, we, we're afraid to come to God because we think somehow that our prayer life is based on our merit or our behavior. Like if I've behaved well, then I can come to God in prayer. Or if I'm doing good, if life is good, I can come to God in prayer and I don't have to be worried about anything. And we know that when we come to God and we're quiet, some of the first things, if you're like me, first things we think about is where we've fallen short. Where have I not told the whole truth today? Where have I have coveted or wanted someone else's stuff that day? When have I not been content with what you've given me on that day? So when I come to God in prayer, my tendency is not to want to deal with those things with him because I'm not sure he's a father that wants to hear those things. Does he really want to hear that or do I need to hide? Do I just need to kind of push those things under the rug and start living right again, and then when I feel, live right again, I can feel better, and then I can come to God in prayer. 
I think a lot of us don't pray because we have a, a really a messed up view of a relationship with the Father. And I want to just create some self-awareness to make sure that maybe why we don't pray is because of that. It's not because we don't know how to or we don't have the time, time enough to pray or we're too busy. I really don't think it's those things for most of us. I think it's our view of the Father that shapes and gives us motivation for how we pray. And I think this is why Jesus is starting with Father here. He wants us to get this. He wants us to not skip over those two words. In, in the movie, one of my favorite movies, Goodwill Hunting, kids in here, it's a rated R movie. So don't see it, and I'm not necessarily recommending it. But it's one of my favorite movies. And in this movie, you have Will, the main guy in the movie, and he's, he's messed up. He's broken, really smart. He's, he's, he's kind of found his identity in being the brilliant guy his whole life. But he's, he, he, he's, he's, he's broken. And some of that stuff starts to reveal itself. And then Sean, his therapist, mentor, guy played by Robin Williams, finally over the course of the movie gets to him. It starts digging, and there's this moment towards the end of the movie where Sean, the therapist, keeps poking and prodding and trying to get underneath this thick exterior that Will has put up his whole life. Um, and because he hasn't had a father, hasn't come from a good family, his whole identity's been in how smart he is, he keeps digging and digging and digging. And finally, just and he pushes him, and he gets mad at him, he yells at him, he says, don't do this to me. And Sean keeps pushing and prodding, and finally he just loses it. Will does breaks down, starts bawling, embraces Sean, and Sean this whole time is saying, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault that you were abused. It's not your fault that you found all of your identity in how smart you were, and you had nobody tell you you were valuable or worth anything in all these other areas. It's not your fault. And, and this whole time, he thought it was his fault, so he put up these, these thick walls. And he broke through those walls because he had no relationship. He had no idea how to like be, be vulnerable and be transparent to someone else to allow his wounds to heal. And I think of, 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 of my son, Jax. Like more than anything, I want him to come to me when he's struggling, when he's in pain, when he's suffering, when he's scared. Like he's just two, but I love it when he comes to me and things aren't right. Like if he only came to me when things were good, or when he felt like it was safe to approach me, that would kill me. That would destroy me. So why do us as children approach God the same way? Some of us need to be more open to approach God, the Father who loves us and who wants to spend time with us and wants to hear about all of our life and doesn't want us to run from a relationship with him. Okay, let's move on to the next phrase. Our Father in heaven. And Jesus could have just stopped there with Father, because I think everybody who he was talking to, they knew that God existed in heaven. I think everyone, everyone who was listening knew that, but he, he, he says it, and I think he says it in kind of an exclusionary manner. Probably a lot of different people ca called Father then, maybe some other gods that were called Father, and he wants anyone hearing him to know, this is the God of the Bible. Okay, this isn't... Just any old father, this is our father who is in heaven. It's exclusive. Okay? He wants, he wants you to know that the father who is, who is willing to spend time with you, willing to hear about you, he is powerful, he is in heaven. He is the creator, and he is sovereign. Okay? So he's, he's not just near as a father, he's also a father who's near, who's also the creator. Tells us about his power. He, 
He not only wants to spend time with his children, he wants to, he wants to provide things for his children, and he is able to. So he's not just willing to spend time with his children. He is able to provide the things his children need. And I think Jesus adds that for us to be able to, to, as an exclusionary term, like this is one father we're talking about, but to also talk a little bit about his power, that he's existing in heaven in a position of power, and he wants to give good gifts to his children. So do we believe that God is not only willing to spend time with us, those who profess faith in Jesus, but is he also able to meet your needs? So Jesus grounds his prayer in those things. We need to see that. We're going to get into the petitions now, but he grounds himself with our Father who art in heaven. Now we get to the first request. Hallowed be your name. This word hallowed here simply means just honor, to esteem. Uh, to, 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 it's, it means reverence, value, to treasure. So we're, we're asking God to, that, that his name would be known. His name would be glorified. And name there just means all the God in, in his totality, all his attributes, everything he is, all of his characteristics, that God, that your name, who you are, would be lifted up, that your name would be known, that it would be treasured, that it would be valued. And that's what this prayer is. So we're asking God to make his name great, to glorify himself. It means that we pray that the world, that those around us would, would give praise to God that would give worship to God. I think every time we pray, whether it's praying for a broken toe or praying for a family member who's on their deathbed that we're begging them to accept Jesus and profess faith before they die, that whole spectrum, the first thing we need to be thinking about is that God's name would be made great. Whether it's the toe or someone about to pass away who doesn't know Jesus, that it is all framed by this desire that God's name would be known and we'd be glorified above everything else. That even in the broken toe, that God would be made known on how quick it was healed, where we were able to overcome that. So there's a logical order to these petitions, and I think there's a reason why the petitions start with this one. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So when we pray for daily bread, we pray for daily bread so that when we get the daily bread, we can then turn back quickly and say, God, what a great father you are. May people know who you are as a result of you providing the necessities for us. Or when we sin or fall short, we know that that dishonors God. So when we say, lead us not into temptation, we are saying, allow us not to be tempted because I don't want to sin because that dishonors your name. Protect me from temptation so I can honor you. And live the way you want me to live, which brings glory to your name. So all of these ones we're going to get to in the next couple of weeks really, I think, can be filtered back through this first one. That everything that we do or that we want God to do is for the sake of his name. In verse 10, <clears throat> next petition. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? We live in this time right now, that theologians call the already but not yet. <laughs> and it's this tension, the fact that G when Jesus came, a part of the kingdom came with him. We see aspects of the kingdom. We see um, 
miracles and we see um, Jesus changing people's hearts, causing people to worship. We see this all throughout our lives. So in some degree, the kingdom has come, but it hasn't come yet in its fullness. Because if 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 it would have come, everyone would be healed in the here and now. There would be no sin, there would be no suffering, and there would be no pain if the kingdom of God would have already come in its fullness. So there's this tension that we have that the kingdom has come in some aspects, but in other aspects it has not come yet. And his kingdom here simply means his rule and reign. And his primary will is that people would worship him and that his glory would be made known. So that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. So what does this mean, on earth as it is in heaven? It can be kind of a, a, a weird thing to think about. And if we think about what's happening in heaven, what's happening in heaven? Well, primarily God, Jesus, is receiving worship. And primarily that comes from the angels. The angels were these created beings. They had one job, and it was to worship him. And they get to worship him in heaven unencumbered by anything. Perfect, joyful worship. No sin, no suffering, no distractions. Perfect worship and praise is happening in heaven. So we are praying that the way it is in heaven would be done on earth. All we're praying is that God's name, who he is, would be worshipped in a perfect and holy and joyful way here on earth. But we know that we live in the already but not yet. We pray for those things to happen. We pray for the glimpses of that to come on the earth. But we also know that there's this anticipation that we also have of the day when Jesus comes back and everything will be made right and perfect. And then we will for sure worship in perfection and joy and we will see Jesus face to face. So what this means is when we pray that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven... What we're praying is in our suffering, in our blessing, in the mundane moments of our life, we would pray that God would be worshipped. Whatever happens here on earth, God would still receive glory and honor and praise. So we're asking it for, to prepare our hearts in suffering. We know it's coming for all of us at some point in time. Prepare my heart so that when it comes... I can still see you as reigning and ruling on the throne as it is in heaven, and I can worship you. And all the while, we anticipate once again and have the hope that motivates us and encourages us that one day all things will be made right, and that suffering will be finished, will be gone. So we pray for that as individuals, but also we're also praying that through through times of blessing and flourishing that we see in the world around us and in times of tragedy and of heartbreak, We pray through all of that, whatever the circumstance, that God would be worshipped as it is in heaven. So when we see the worst tragedies, one of the things we can always pray in the worst of tragedies is that we don't know how this is happening. We don't know why this is happening, but our prayer is that your name would be known. Your name would be glorified. Your son would be known through whatever the tragedy is. And that's a prayer we can pray in whatever the circumstance whatever the tragedy. So we're praying for ourselves individually, but we're also praying for the world around us, for other nations and countries and those kinds of things as well. So to kind of move towards (coughs) closing here, Jesus, I think, desires this prayer that he's giving us to be practical. He said it's a template. 
He wants us to be able to see this and, and, and not be too much of a jump to, okay, how do I actually do this? There are aspects of the prayer that we're going to get to in the next couple of weeks, like confession and, um, and petition, asking God for things, to take care of our daily needs, like, like bread and the basic necessities. We're going to cover those things in the next two weeks, so we'll um, practice those things. But um, there are a couple of pra- practical takeaways from the verses today I want us to think about really quick. Um, First off, prayer is about you and God. It's not about others. And think of the hypocrites and the Gentiles. He said, hey, don't be like these two groups. Okay, pray like this. Okay. Second of all, God is a willing and able father. And we need to have, I, I can't stress that enough when it comes to prayer. We have to have those lenses on when we see God, especially as it relates to prayer. If he's anything else other than a, a perfect and loving father, we will probably hesitate in coming to him. We're not good enough. I don't know if you want to hear my junk. I don't want to waste, I don't want to waste your time with what I have to say. I don't think you love me enough. I'm scared to come to you and, and, and pour out my, my junk before you. He's a perfect and loving father. And that should motivate us to pray. Third, um, all of our prayer points to God being honored that his name would be, be, be made great. And last, that we would pray in all circumstances, suffering and blessing, that his rule and his reign would be extended throughout the world, in the, in the here and now, with, a, with, a, with one eye to, to, to heaven in the future when everything will be made right. So here's what we're going to do. With prayer, we, we feel like this is a great opportunity to be able to practice this. So we're actually going to pray for a little bit. Okay, and we're gonna have, this is going to be in three parts, and we're going to focus again on the aspects that we covered. We're knowing that God is Father and remembering that through everything, His name is to be praised. So there's going to be three, we're going to spend about probably eight minutes in this. And a couple things. Um, if you think this is weird, uncomfortable, that's okay. I know it's weird and uncomfortable to do this in this setting. Uh, but here's the deal. If we want to we not say we have a loving and, and gracious father, which most of us would say as followers of Jesus, if we're a Christian in here, and then not actually pray. So we want to like kind of follow through with what we believe here and actually pray. Um, and, and if you're here and, and you're not a Christian and this is weird for you and this is uncomfortable, um, I would say just, just to observe this. Because if, if we really believe we have a father in heaven like we described, shouldn't we want to pray? Shouldn't we be okay with praying even in front of other people? Um, because it's not about what other people think. It's about what our relationship with God. Okay, so here's how this is going to go. The first about two or three minutes, um, we're just going to be in silence. And I want you to think about God being your father. Just think about that. Just, just picturing, getting the image of the loving father who loves you unconditionally. And if you didn't have an earthly father that was even close to this, then it may be a little bit more difficult. But I encourage you to go back to the scriptures and just think about Jesus, because God says, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen me. So in some ways, Jesus represents God the Father. So think about Jesus for two or three minutes. And then after that, um, I will transition us. And then I want us, those of us who feel comfortable, just to pray out loud. I want us just to 
Um, praise God, honor his name, tell him who he is to you, tell him how great he is for a couple of minutes. And then we're going to close by reading a prayer out loud together. It's, just, it's a psalm, but it's, it's a prayer. It's a psalm in the form of a prayer. And we're going to read that together at the end. And I'll transition us through those three parts. So for the next two or three minutes, spend some time alone thinking about God as Father. And then I'll uh, transition us. We're going to now move into time of the Lord's Supper. Jesus, shortly before he would go to the cross with his disciples, again, around him, similar to uh, the way it was in the Sermon on the Mount, took bread. He said, this bread represents my body broken for you. When you do this after I'm gone, remember me. Remember what I've done for you. He took the cup. He says, this cup represents the blood, my blood shed for you, covering past, present, and future sins. So here's what I want us to do. A few minutes, just if you're a follower of Jesus in here, I, I want you to remember um, why you can call him Father, that Jesus lived a perfect life that none of us could possibly have lived, and he died a death all of us deserve to die. And three, three days later, he was raised, conquering sin, Satan, and death in the process, and he was he ascended, now rules from his throne. He's alive. He sends his spirit to empower those who have faith in him. So this is why we can call him father. This is why our relationship with him doesn't depend on our merit or our performance. Neither does the ability to pray. So I want you to, if, if you're a Christian here, I want you to, to think about that and and. And maybe why you don't pray. Is it because you don't really believe God desires to be near to you? He wants you to be near to him. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to pour out your life and your mind and everything to him. He promises us to meet us there. His spirit will, will heal us cleanse us and make us whole, empower us to live like we want to live. So when I give you a few moments here, I want you to think about that. When you come forward to take communion, I want you to have confidence that he is a perfect and loving father. If there's still some doubt in there with that, because of whatever, I, I, I just pray that you would ask the spirit to help you believe that, help you know that. Galatians 4, the Spirit cries out, Abba, Father. I, 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 I encourage you to pray that the Spirit would help you cry out, Abba, Father. Help you make that relationship a reality in your life. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, and you don't have faith and belief in Him, or maybe you came in here and didn't have faith and belief, I encourage you to um, consider putting your faith and belief in Him. That Jesus through his death, resurrection, paid the penalty of, of human sin. All of us who are sinful in here have um, that penalty paid for for us. If that is you and you want to experience that, I, 
I, I pray that you would come forward to take communion as well. If you do that, please tell someone, please tell someone that, that God's doing something inside of me and, and, and I don't know what this is and maybe it's not explainable, but please process that with somebody. If you're here and you don't consider yourself a Christian and, and you still need some space to think about some of this stuff and some of the stuff maybe you heard today was weird and awkward and, and maybe you need to talk to somebody about it. And I would love to be the person who talks to you about it. So if you want to talk more and process what you've seen, please find me and, and we can set up a time to meet. But if you're here and you're still trying to figure some stuff out, then I encourage you not to, not to come and take communion. This is for those who have professed faith and belief in him and who are uh, followers of him only. It's kind of a family thing. So just encourage you to stay where you're seated and just think about maybe some things you've seen and heard today. So whenever you're ready, take a few minutes um, and we'll have two stations at the front today. There's no station at the back. So come forward to take communion whenever you're ready.